You are listening to a message from City Church, located in Williamsport, Pennsylvania. For more information on City Church, or for additional resources, including service times, recommended readings, and additional audio, please visit citychurchpa.org. I want to welcome, I want to say thank you so much for being here this morning. Uh, and if you are a guest with us this morning, I want to welcome you and say thank you uh, for worshiping with us and spending uh, this last day of the year together with us. Uh, um, this is uh, New Year's Eve, uh, and, and I, I don't know about you, but I'm really just like excited about what 2024 uh, has, uh, has for me, and not only that, has for us as a church and I pray that this would be a time also of growth as well. So uh, we are on our last message on, in the book of Hebrews. Uh, as we're just kind of looking at uh, just asking this whole Advent series. We've been asking God to help us to be a people that fixate on him, uh, to be a people that focus on him who is the author and the finisher of our faith, and, and to be a people that, uh, that are asking the Lord, help us to uh, help us to see see the very things that maybe have become a destruction uh, to us. And, and this message here today uh, is fitting for even what we are about to get into, uh, which is 2024. Uh, and this is actually like what, what this message is going to be calling you and I is to press in towards uh, the maturity that God has for you and me in Jesus. And so we're looking at Jesus being our, uh, our, our eternal high priest. This is, he is our eternal savior. So if he is our eternal savior, he calls us to actually what? Uh, to make it, uh, to run a race with endurance and with the strength that he gives us. And we shouldn't fizzle in between. We should make it to the end because ours is an eternal salvation. Amen. Um, we just drove, drove uh, uh, from Indiana yesterday, and as we were driving on our way to Indiana, uh, uh, we saw there was a truck, uh, there was a truck that had caught on fire, a semi that had caught, caught on fire, and it was on the side of the road. Uh, but I was aware of actually something else. Uh, when we were driving back, there were now two trucks that were on the side of the road as well that had caught on fire. And I was just thinking about the fact that like those, all, both those trucks trucks were hoping to make it to the destination, but they never made it to the destination because uh, they caught on fire somewhere in between. And if I was to summarize for you what the book of Hebrews uh, calls Christians to do is to actually, you need to make it to the end. Run your race with endurance and make it to the end. And in the midst of it, there are going to be things that are going to try to set, your, set you on fire or the afflictions in between or temptations and trials, which is what actually the community in Hebrews was facing. And they were, they were almost running out of gas in the middle of their race. And here, what, uh, what the author calls them to do, and he says this, this, this is what they need to do. They need to fix their eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of their faith. And if they fix their eyes on Jesus, he is the one that is actually going to help them to actually get to the end. And so to 
today, what we're going to be looking at is Hebrews chapter 5. Uh, and, and really, when you see, what, uh, when you zoom out to the whole chapter, this is what we get to see. That Christ is the, is the high priest appointed by God uh, as the Son of God. Um, he was declared high priest through his obedience, making him the source of eternal salvation. And that should lead us to maturity as believers. And so, uh, so what we're going to see here is that he is the compassionate high priest appointed by God. He is the compassionate high priest. Why is that important? Look at verse 1 there. For every high priest taken from amongst men is appointed in matters pertaining to God for the people. And so the high priest was taken from man. He had to be a human being. Uh, he had to be a human being. So that's why Christ was born and became a human being. And then it says that he is appointed in matters pertaining to God for the people to offer both gifts and then sacrifices for sin. And so what he is acting, he acts as an intermediary uh, between God and people. So uh, and, and we see then he comes and he atones for the sins between, between the people people and God. And he's the only one that was fit enough to go and sacrifice when people had sinned and they had to be, they had to be payment for those sins. So they would bring these lambs before the high priest. And then the high priest is the one who would actually sacrifice, take the blood, take it into the Holy of Holies and bleed on the day of atonement for the forgiveness of the people. And this is actually what we see here. But the, this high priest also, uh, which is actually like the whole house of Levi, um, and then Aaron, who was the high priest, uh, the, high, the high priest and, and his whole house, this is what they did. Um, but yet at the same time, look at verse 2. Um, they, this high priest had to sympathize with the people. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and those who are going astray. And so he's dealing gently, gently with them since he is also clothed in weakness. And because of this, he must make an offering for his own sins as well as for the people. And this is what, what the high priest would always do. He would always, like, he, would, he, would, he was a very deeply aware of the fact that he was also flesh. And, then, and, and so he, would, he recognized the way he was ignorant as well. And then the way he would go astray. So he would deal with other people in the same way that God had dealt with him. So he would actually like, he would sacrifice, uh, he would sacrifice an animal for the forgiveness of his sin uh, first. And then he would sacrifice for the forgiveness of others as well. And these were sins uh, of, of omission, the ones that of omission or sins of commission, the sins that were intentional or even sins that were unintentional, he had to always sacrifice something in order for him to get into the holy of holies and plead for the forgiveness of others. And this high priest had to be only, he had to be called by God. Look at verse 4, no one takes this honor on himself. He, he had to be appointed by God. Uh, instead, a person is called by God just as Aaron was. Nobody actually would, would volunteer to do this because at some point, if he entered the Holy of Holies and having not confessed some of the sins, he would die instantly. 
and we die and die instantly. And here what we're seeing is the author is actually saying that the high priest had to be someone who is actually called by God, set apart by God, and he could enter the Holy of Holies. And, and what we're going to see here is that, and, and he is pointing now to say that you need to fix your eyes on Jesus because Jesus is not just only a priest, but he is a very unique priest. And instead of actually, instead of offering an, a, a lamb on behalf of the people, he offered himself. And instead of offering for himself first an animal, he was sinless and he was very unique. So in suffering and dying on behalf of of the people, Jesus became a true high priest and he makes atonement for everyone, everyone's sin. And this is what, what atonement of sin would happen once every single year. And Jesus, according to the book of Hebrews, does it once and for all because he was this sinless lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. One theologian, William Barclay, says Jesus is the perfect high priest because he is perfectly human and perfectly God. He can represent us to God and God to us. And he is the one person through whom God, through whom we come to God and God comes to us. He is the one that now bridges the gap so that you and I can now begin to have a relationship with him. And that is very important. And he is this high priest for us that ushers in, he is, that ushers in our enjoyment of God. He is, he is now the one who does a superior offering over even what Aaron would do because he was the sinless offering before God. So he is of greater help to us than any other priest that had come before him. And so what does that mean for you and me? It means that we can trust him with our sins. And through one sacrifice that he has made, he has swallowed every sin that you and I can commit, past, present, and future. He swallowed all those sins of mankind because he is the perfect high priest. You and I can trust him. And not only that, he is our compassionate high priest. He not only just understands what you and I have gone through, but he conquered everything that you and I have gone through. He experienced it, but he also came out of it without sin. Amen? And so a lot of times we tend to usually, and, and this is now where uh, you and I sometimes, when we think about someone who is a compassionate, a sympathetic person, usually, for example, if you're going through cancer, for example, when my wife was going through cancer, like she had to actually get in touch with other people that had gone through cancer and, and they sympathized and they, they could be able to talk and actually talk about like, hey, how was this for you? How did it go? and all that stuff. And, but here, what we get to see is that Jesus is the one that has gone through it, but he didn't get swallowed into it. He actually conquered out of it. And I love what C.S. Lewis says, and I want you to follow me on this one. What makes Jesus a, a sympathetic and fit high priest uh, is this very thing. Uh, and then this is what we sometimes do. We sometimes look to, towards those who have gone through something, and, and some of them might have been conquered by it, but here we're looking at Jesus, who is a perfect high priest. This is what 
what C.S. Lewis says, no man knows how bad he is until he has tried very hard to be good. Listen to this. A silly idea in his current that good people do not know what temptation means. Right? Usually we look at people and we're like, oh man, you've done nothing. You, you, your life hasn't been bad, so therefore you don't understand what, I've going, what, what I'm going through. And we, sometimes we can get to look down on Jesus because he never sinned. But listen to what C.S. Lewis says. This is an obvious lie. Only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it is. After all, you find out the strength of the German army by fighting against it, not by giving in. You find out the strength of the wind by trying to walk against it, not by lying down. A man who gives in to temptation after five minutes simply does not know what it would have been an hour later. That is why bad people, in one sense, know very little about badness. Right, They have lived a sheltered life by always giving in. Right, He says we never find out the strength of, of the evil impulse inside us until we have tried to fight it. And Christ, because, listen to this, because he was the only human who never yielded to temptation, is also the only man who knows to the full what temptation means. He is the only complete realist. Christ is the only one who faced the full blow of sin and resisted to the full. And therefore, he's the only one we can trust because he didn't give in. He didn't give in and he is the one. He committed no sin. And so you and I now, we can bring our sin to him. And we know that if, if he calls us now more than conquerors in him, because now we can tap into his strength that he has for you, he has for you and me. And now, with Christ in us, there's only one thing, the hope of glory. Because now we can live in a constantly renewed, uh, constantly renewed victory over temptation. Why? Because we have one that has actually stood over death, hell, and the grave. And temptation couldn't even win against him. And so Christ is now our victorious champion. He is, our, he is our high priest. But not only that, look at further here. He is our eternal high priest. What Jesus did now was not only just become a high priest who could only serve us during time and space, but he is the one now who saves us now into eternity because what he conquered for you and me was an eternal salvation. Amen? And that's what we need to now, fix our eyes on him because only when we have him, that is only when we have hope of glory, only this is eternal life that we may know him. And as soon as we know him, now we get to enjoy him for all eternity. He is, he is salvation is one that actually, that, that death doesn't have a final say over. And here, what he is talking to the community in, in Hebrews here is that, hey, look beyond Aaron's priesthood. There's a better one that is sacrificed. Look beyond whatever atonement method you may come up with. You know, there's a lot of times when we try to actually 
we try so hard. And sometimes when we try to feel so bad, we try. And I was talking to one gentleman one day where he felt like he had to do, like, because he had sinned. And I was like, look to Jesus. But he felt like he had to do something. So you deprive of yourself, of, 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 and you fast, or you beat yourself, and you punish yourself, and you do all those things. You and I might not do it that way, but we might actually just like, maybe just like uh, spend a whole lot of time making ourselves feel so bad in order for us to actually finally say, I feel so bad enough. Now I am now worthy of actually what he is meant to give. No, Christ has suffered once and for all. What we're meant to do is now fix our eyes on Jesus. Look at verse 5. He's our eternal high priest. In the same way, Christ did not exalt himself to become a high priest, but God who said, you are my son. And here he's quoting Psalm 2.7. You are my son. Today I've become your father. In Jesus, that was fulfilled. This king who was in the bloodline of David now was now a fulfillment of this son whose kingship will not, will not diminish. This is Jesus. And he says this, he is now the coronated what? Son. Some too was always used that coronation of Davidic kings. But it says that the, the same one who said, you are my son, also said in another place, Psalm 110, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. And Melchizedek was a priest king who is met by uh, who, who Abraham meets in Genesis chapter 14. And this is a king who comes way before the Aaronic priest comes in. And he is the priest that he is the priest that actually Abraham meets after Abraham has gone and rescued Lot from his foolishness, rescued lost Lot, and then he comes and he offers a tenth to Melchizedek, who is a very mysterious being in the in, in the New Testament, in the Old Testament. They say no one knew his parents, no one knew his origin, and not only that, he shows up here and then he fizzled. He is actually like his name, King of Melchizedek, means a king of righteousness. And then he meets Abraham and then he sacrifices, he sacrifices and fellowships with Abraham. And here, what now? The, the, the Old Testament, the New Testament now, looking back, it says that Christ is of a higher priesthood than that of Aaron's priesthood. That's going to come almost 400 years later. It says that he is of a higher priesthood. And then after the first priest, at least highlighted in the Bible, which is Melchizedek. And then so this psalm is actually teaching also, Psalm 110 verse 4 is teaching that Christ is not only just going to be a priest, but he is going to be this priest who's also a king, who's also a king, but who's also, also as well, God's messenger as well, who's also taking in all the offices of the Old Testament, prophet, priest, and king. He is going to be the one who God speaks through, Hebrews verse 1, verse 1, but not only that he is the king, he is the son of God, but not only that he is going to be the priest, he is the one who bridges that gap. 
So he now is what we would call what? A perfect high priest. And so look at his priestly role. His priestly role, he comes in now and he, he sympathizes with human beings and he has this sympathy. Look at verse 7 there. During his earthly life, what did Jesus do? He offered prayers and appeals with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death. At the highest point of temptation, Jesus, what did he do? Jesus did exactly what, what, what he did. He, he did exactly the opposite of what you and me do. We cave in into temptation, but Jesus goes before God and he offers, and this is actually that word offers there, offered there, it, it speaks to his priestly role. That now you and I have an inheritance of. Because before God, he calls you and I a kingdom of priests as Christians. And this is actually what Jesus did. At the highest point of temptation, it says that he knelt down and he offered a sacrifice of loud prayers. And most of us, and this is what Hebrews 12 says, consider him who suffered He suffered even unto death. And it says that so that you do not get weary and give up. And some of us give up. And when we say, have you prayed yet? And usually some of us are like, yeah, I prayed. Nothing happened. So therefore, but Jesus stayed on his knees until God sustained him. He prayed until. And listen to that. He offered prayers. And so here we're seeing Ultimate dependence on God. That is the high priestly office and he depended on God until he could do no other but just depend on God. And the greatest example of that, this is a vivid description of his earthly life. And we know there's two examples where we see him depending on God above everything. We see him in Matthew chapter 4 when the devil takes him to the pinnacle and starts tempting him at every single point. But he appeals, he depends on the word of God. And he says, it is written, it is written, it is written. Jesus was showing you and I how to defeat temptation. He was the high priest where Israel and Moses and every single person where Aaron had failed and even created a golden calf at the highest point of temptation, Jesus succeeded there. It is written, it is written. But we see him in the garden of Gethsemane, right? In Matthew chapter 26 or Mark chapter 14 or Luke chapter 22, we see him there kneeling down, crying and sweating blood at the highest, at the highest point. And do you know how much stress you would have to go through for you to actually start sweating blood? Ask every doctor. It's the highest form of stress. But even there, he said, nevertheless, not my will. Nevertheless, God, would you, is there any other way? God, just feeling the weight of your sin and my sin, is there any other way? But he still depended and trusted on God. That's what makes him very fit to carry you and I. 
to carry our sins, but not only that, to, to, to deliver us in the time to come. But that was, that's what makes him fit to help us to depend on him, even right now in the anguish that you and I get to face. In the deepest valleys, he is the perfect high priest. And you know what he's doing? Hebrews chapter 7, he says that he's interceding for you and I. Jesus, help him. I know this seems like a final blow. Help him. I know the addiction is getting the best of him. Help him. And so what, what it's calling you to do is to actually now live in the reality of that. Look to Jesus. And then if you see Jesus didn't give up, now you don't give up here. Help him in his marriage. Help him in his parenting. Help him. Help him. He's about to help her. Help, help, help. And God says you will find grace in the time of need because you have a high priest who sympathizes. Right? Your will be done. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. God, I don't know what to do. I'm in pain. I, I'm going to trust you here. I'm going to trust you that if you don't deliver me through in this, you're going to deliver me through this. You're going to take me down. But I know that into your hands I commit my spirit because we know that he trusted him because three days, three days after three days, he rose again triumphantly and now he's seated at the right hand of the Father because he trusted in God with everything. And why did he trust him? Because God's opinion mattered more to him. God's rule, God's will, God's plan, God's everything mattered to him more than anything and everything. Look at this. Why was he? Why did he trust in him? And he was heard because of his reverence. Because of his reverence. When you fear God more than anything else, there's nothing else to fear but God. That's actually what we see here. He he was heard because of his awe of God. And this... We're seeing in his most spiritually daunting and human terrifying moments, what he did was that, God, I know that you worked all things together for my good. That even in all these things, I am more than a conqueror. Because all those things, affliction, persecution, Sickness, addiction, pain, grief, all those things. What do they have a potential to do for you and me? They have a potential to leave you in the midst of your destination, where in, in the midst of the journey as a burnt truck in the midst, where at the end of the day, when they look at the manifest, they say, he didn't make it. And why didn't he make it? Because he didn't fix his eyes on Jesus. So we run this race with endurance. And it says this. Simply because continually revering God. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And here we're seeing his dependence on God, his reverence on God, his obedience to God 
was just, he, he obeyed God from the beginning. His whole life was an act of obedience. Go down there and save weak mankind. Yes, I will. As a teenager, as a teenager, what, what is he doing? As a preteen, 12 years old, I must be by my father's business. He's obeying God. His dominant ambition in life was obeying God. And so that in John 17, 4, he can say, I've glorified you on earth. I've done everything to glorify you. And that's, that's what he, he does. And he obeys death. He obeys God even to the point of death. This is Philippians chapter 2, verse 8. Right? And yet without sin. And he was obedient. His whole life was bowing down to God's will. And you see, he succeeded where you and I fail. And so when he teaches you and I to pray, he says, you need to pray to this. Pray, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Let your name be hallowed. But, but usually what is our sin? Our sin is usually to hallow our name instead of his name. But Jesus succeeded in that. Makes him a perfect high priest. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Who came and did that? We saw him. Flesh and blood. Who came and did that? Jesus did that. Every single step was in obedience to God. He came and did that. And so that now, the gospel of God is now coming and poured into us. Romans 1, to the, for the what? Obedience of nations. You and I, when we receive Jesus, now we're empowered to obey him through the spirit poured in within us so that now we can now live as priests before him. He is the high priest. Right? And here to say, saying to learn obedience, it, it doesn't mean that he was learning. Like it meant to coming to fully appreciate conforming to God's will. Coming to fully appreciate. And as Jesus encountered suffering and, and his faithfulness to God was challenged. But yet his unfailing obedience is what actually prevailed. Over and over until death. Look at verse 9. And he was perfected. He was the most mature human being. He became. He became the most mature he became the most obedient being. He became the very second Adam that came and succeeded where the first Adam actually failed. Remember the book of Hebrews. It says that what? Here's what, the better Adam. He's the better Moses. He's the better Joshua. He's the better Aaron. He's the better. If anything you look to, Take him and put him because he is the supreme savior, right? And then so here, he was perfected. He became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. So he's saying there's nothing else to obey but him now. And when you now Obey him. All you now can come with empty hands of faith. And even the power to obey him comes from him. He says you come with empty hands of faith. With nothing to do but to say, God, would you enable me? Can, can, 
Now we can find what? Grace in terms of need. He is the only one qualified. That word perfected, it means qualified as a unique deliverer through a life fully submitted to God. And then so now he is now what? The pioneer of our salvation, like it says in, in Hebrews 2. So now he comes with what we would call an eternal salvation. But the beauty of Hebrews is so, it's, it's amazing. Because it says this, fix your eyes on Jesus because he gives way better than you could ever have. Why? Because in Jesus, we have an eternal salvation, right? That's, that's amazing just to see. It, it's not, it doesn't offer you a salvation that is only limited to this earth. Right? What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? What, what good is it to gain the approval of people, even the people you're sitting next to today, and to lose your soul? What, what good is it if you can become the most popular person and you can do and if you can lose your soul, what, what good is it? But what Jesus offers to you is something that is beyond this world. A salvation in this world, a salvation to enjoy in the world to come. That's what Hebrews chapter 3 says. The world he's given you, now we can partake the world to come now. John 17, 3, right? But it's not only an eternal salvation. Listen, it's amazing when you get to look. Isaiah 45, it's not going to be up there. It says that Israel will be saved by the Lord with an eternal salvation. But Hebrews 9.12 says this, it's an eternal redemption. It means that he sets you free from slavery of sin and you are free forever. And, and Galatians chapter 5 says that don't go back again and get chained again to the yoke of slavery. It was for freedom that Christ set you free. And what? Hebrews 9.15 is going to say, you and I, because of this eternal salvation, eternal redemption, you and I have an eternal inheritance. It, it means that it never fades. Right, this is like, this is the best 401k you can get. You hear me? This is the best inheritance you could ever get. This is, and not only that, Hebrews 13, 20, it says that you and I have been brought into an eternal covenant. And this is not a covenant that is written by pencil, that like at your worst moment he rubs off and he says, you are doomed. This is an eternal covenant. As long as you come in Jesus' name. That's why you and I have the best privilege ever. We come in Jesus' name. Do you know when we're saying that, what we're saying? We come in Jesus' name. Not our name, but his name. Because his name is the most weightiest name. He has been given a name above all names. He is our high priest. So therefore, now, what do we access? To him. Through him. 
We access this redemption, this in inheritance. We access a yes and amen before God always and forever. We get to enjoy his presence. Amen. We get to enjoy his presence. And this is actually what I want you to see. Christ is the perfect high priest whom God has declared as the, what, the source of eternal salvation, which he proved through his dependence. And not only that, through his reverence, his obedience to God through his earthly life. So now you and I can fully approach him and enjoy him. We can now enjoy him. This is what one theologian, F.F. Bruce, says that in order to be perfect high priest, a person must sympathize with those on whom or on whose behalf he acts. And he cannot sympathize with them unless he can enter into their experiences and share them for himself. Christ did that. And what Martin Luther says, he says, in his life, Christ is an example showing us how to live. So now we can follow him. You know what it means to be a disciple? We can follow him. And he says that this is a way for you to live a life that is pleasing to God. But not only that, in his death, he's the sacrifice satisfying, satisfying for our sins. Now we can now know that all our sins are defeated. There is now therefore no condemnation for those that are in Christ. What would happen if you and I didn't wallow in our, in our pools of condemnation and we could live in the freedom Christ has for us? What would your life look like if you were not being, if you were not, you, you know what it would look like? Have you ever driven a car with the, your emergency brake on and you're driving and you can feel it's not moving in its full potential? You and I, chances are that we are being just delayed just by everything simply because we have not fully enjoyed what he has done. In his resurrection, he is a conqueror. In his ascension, a king. In his intercession, a high priest, right? Christ, our high priest, is ascended into heaven and sits on the right hand of the Father and where, without ceasing, he makes intercession for us. What does that mean? It means that you and I today, because of Jesus, what do we do? We live in victory and we live in perpetual victory if we fix our eyes on him. But if we take off our eyes off him, just like Peter took off his eyes of Jesus, all of a sudden, and we are aware of all the waves and all the raging seas and all of a sudden we begin to sink and what we do is that we need to call upon him and we will be saved. We need to fix our eyes on him. We need to constantly gaze upon him and he is our high priest. Not only does he save us, he is saving us and he will save us. In him there is guaranteed salvation. Amen, church? And so in these last minutes that I have, I want to just kind of push you towards what Hebrews 5.11 to 14 is calling you and I. What is it that hinders us? What is that emergency break that holds us back from actually, from actually fully enjoying everything? And here what we see is that he says it's ignorance. It's ignorance. And, say, and so here we see that ignorance about who Christ is leads us to what? To immaturity. 
where we end up lit- literally leaving our lives. We, we have it, but we don't get to enjoy it. We don't get to enjoy it. And if I was to actually find a proverb that really helps us in this, it's going to be this proverb. And it says this in Proverbs chapter 26. Before I read this, uh, it's not going to be up there. It says this, a a lazy person, a slacker, uh, an ignorant person buried his, buries his hand in the bowl, right? Holds on to the food, but he is too weary, he is too lazy to bring it to his mouth. And, it, and really at the end of the day, that's the picture that I want you and I to kind of capture here. That you and I probably, one of our biggest problems is that like sometimes we are just, we, we, we don't chase the full implications of what does it mean that Christ died, that Christ rose, that Christ sits at the right hand of the Father, that Christ intercedes for you and me. And here, the writer of Hebrews, he says, you are about to give up. And your main reason for giving up is because you have buried your hand. Yes, you confessed him as your Savior, but you have not let that nourish you at every single moment. You've not let that nourish you. And it says this, we have a great deal to say. Look at verse, ignorance stems from laziness. We have a great deal to say about this. And this is what he's going to start saying from from this chapter here all the way to chapter 10. He's going to start unpacking Melchizedek. kind of just starts actually flooring this time. And he's encouraging them. And he's saying that like, this is a totally different priest altogether. If you could only understand that. And he says this, we have a great deal to say, it is difficult to explain since you have become lazy to understand. And he says, one of the reasons why it's so hard for you to actually know that he's strengthening you right now in the midst of temptation is because now you've become too lazy to nourish yourself. Right? And that word lazy there, it, it just, and, and you're going to see it in chapter 6, 12 as well. It says that, and he starts actually saying, I, I'm encouraging you in order that you may not be lazy. And what does that mean? It means being sluggish. That's what it looks like when, when you're driving a car and it just feels like, man, something is wrong. Today doesn't have full power. It, it's not getting me out of here as fast as I can. And he's saying, you've become sluggish. You've become negligent of salvation. Not only that, and here it's, 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 you've become reluctant to fully savor everything Jesus has done. You, you give up too easily. You've become weary, and now you're giving up. And so now you're looking towards other ways of sacrifices and all those that, that cannot take you back to God. And all these, uh, th- this is what Jeremiah 2, 13 says. Be appalled, you heavens. My people have forsaken the fountain of living water and have dug cisterns for themselves. That cannot hold water. But this is the fountain of living water, right? And Jesus is going to say, I am the living water. I'm the one. And here he's saying, some of us just have not grown because we are just comfortable with what we know about Jesus and not, we don't have that appetite to dig 
and get to know. And so the author here is accusing them. Just He says, you merely nod on the sermons, but you're failing to respond honorably and wisely to the message of God. And, and you're not giving it its due attention and its due diligence. You're way too distracted. Everything else is calling your attention, but you don't have that secret place where you can grow, where you can get fully know him. And so the and, and it says one 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 theologian says that they are now they are unwilling to work out the deeper implications of the gospel in their lives. Right? And and they were just like they, they just didn't they, they couldn't care less. And they were just okay with, with, with just reading maybe two minutes a day and just kind of maybe praying a couple of seconds and expecting that that was going to sustain them. And they didn't have moments where they drink deeply because they're really thirsty, thirsty for his word. And that's why Jesus is going to say, man, you are the most blessed person if you hunger and thirst of the righteousness. You're the most, you're the, you're, you're the most happiest disciple if you recognize your bankruptcy, if you recognize you don't have what it takes for you to make it to the end, and so therefore you dive deep so that now you can run hard. You dive deep into his word, you depend upon him, you 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 reverence him, you ask for Jesus' reverence, you ask for Jesus' Jesus' obedience, you ask for Jesus' sustenance, for grace to be sufficient in the time of need. Why? Because you dive deep. You are creating moments where you can hear from Jesus so that he can sustain you. Run with endurance the race that is set before you. So that what? By doing what? By fixing your eyes on Jesus. But in the midst of life, we do not fix our eyes on him. And then we wonder why we run out of gas. We wonder why sometimes we didn't even see the check engine light. Because we didn't open up our lives to hear from him. And listen to this. Ignorance leads to ineffectiveness. Look at verse 12. Although by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the basic principles of God's revelation again. What you need is actually, what you need is to go back to the basics. Go back to the bedrock of who is Jesus? What has he done? What has he done for you? If he died, what does that mean for you? If he came into the earth, what does that mean for you? If he died, what does that mean for you? If he rose again, what does that mean for you? If he's seated at the right hand of the Father, what does that mean for you? If he's coming again, what does that mean for you in the valleys of life? What does it all mean? What does the gospel mean? And then so that here, what he's talking about, is the fact that like you and I and here when he's saying you need milk not solid food he's saying that you need first of all to be taught how to actually swim in the in the two foot pool before we take you down to the 10 foot to 10 foot pool that this is actually what he's saying he's saying the gospel is not only just a diving board it's actually what the pool in which we swim in and but you now need to first of all nourish who Jesus is and what he has done and then begin to actually go deeper in all those things 
And so they were turning their back to, 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 to the strenuous work and diligent application of, of, of the word of God. And he's saying they remain babies. And even though at this time, what they should be, and here when he's using teachers, he's not using that for the special office. He's just saying, so that now you, you, you've now, you, you get to a point where you now, you, you lead others by word and also example, and you don't give up easily. You are now an example in, to other believers. Right? And others can now be able to see your example of endurance and begin to be sustained by you as well. And here he's saying spiritual ignorance ultimately leads to what? Carelessness. Look at verse 13 and 14. Now everyone who lives on milk is inexperienced with the message of righteousness because he is an infant. He's using milk here and showing that like, hey, this is what, and you know, the children... At some point, they need milk, but eventually they get they need to actually dive deep to the solid food. And here, it's not so much of like that, oh, I need something more than the gospel. He's saying that like what you need is to dive deeper into what Christ has done and actually begin to say, ask yourself, has Christ died? Yes, he has. What does it mean for this situation? And when you meet the next situation, has Christ risen? What does it mean for this one? And when you meet death and grief hits, has Christ been raised? Is he coming again? What does it even mean for this one? And then so that there is nothing that you will face as a believer that Christ has not had a final say over. But what you need is to begin to appropriate the medicine of the gospel according to no matter how deep the wound is. Never underestimate the medicine because it is what? One balm that can actually heal everything. That's really what's going on here. But solid food is for the mature. And there, what you get to see there, he's saying that inexperienced with the message of righteousness. And that inexperienced there, it's just talking about, it's like taking a warrior you remember when David is being put, they, they put on actually Saul's armor on him. And he says, I'm inexperienced in fighting in this. It's like being trusted with the sword. Uh, if you remember very well, like when Spider-Man gets beaten by, 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 by the spider, what he does and he discovers he's got superpowers, he's got to go at least on top of a building and find a way to get experience in how he swings between buildings. This is what's going on there. He's saying you're inexperienced because you keep hitting the wall. You keep hitting the wall. You cannot, you cannot swing in between the tallest buildings of New York City now because you are inexperienced in how you use the power of the gospel in your life. And he says, but solid food is for the mature. Those whose senses have been trained to distinguish between good and evil. 
And that word mature, it means, it means those that have continually tethered themselves to Christ. If he was perfect, and they've also now continually are being conformed to this image. And so that now they are responding maturely to the daily temptations and trials because they did. Now they now have, they are now followers of Christ. And the dependence of Jesus is on them. The, the maturity of Jesus is on them. The reverence of Jesus towards God is on them. The obedience of Jesus is on them. They are experienced in actually discerning between evil and good, right? And they now are following God for everything that he has. And I've got a couple of quotes here um, before we, we go that I want to just share with you. And I'm praying that 2024, you would begin to ask God to Remove maybe just, maybe the underlying spiritual laziness of saying, I'm not content. I am gonna, I, I, I want to just follow God with, with everything. Church Father Jerome says that ignorance of scripture is ignorance of Christ. What are you gonna do? You see the need, see the inconsistencies of your life? What's going to be the place of God's scripture in your life? What's the place of Christ in your life? John Calvin says, there's no greater darkness than ignorance of God. Ignorance is closely followed by obstinacy. And here, ignorance here, by the way, it's just that. Your hand is in the bowl of the gospel. These people had confessed They've gotten to know, but they were just no longer nourishing. My question is that, as you watch obstinacy grow in your heart, a loss of appetite, would you begin to throw that loss of appetite with feeding onto, who are you, Jesus? What have you done? What does it mean that you're my perfect high priest? What does that mean? What if you're plagued by fears? I love what Charles Spurgeon says. Half our fears are as a result of ignorance. And it says that like most of our fears are simply because we don't know who Christ is and what he has done. Are you going to remain there? Or are you going to press in and get to see your fears dissolved by the warmth of Christ's gospel in your life? Are you going to stay there or not? Right? Richard Baxter says, ignorance is your disease. Knowledge must be your cure. And I'm here to say that knowledge of Christ must be your cure. Knowledge must be your cure. And you and I should be like Paul, who says this in Philippians chapter 3.10. My goal My prayer is that as we begin this new year, this would become your goal. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death. My goal, that you and I would make it our goal to know him. And when we know him, we would know that like, as long as we know him, nothing then can be against us. And so let this spur you to saying, 
You're saying he is the perfect high priest. He is the perfect key to every single God's promises. Your goal should be to know him. To know him, being conformed and to fellowship with him. Even when you feel like giving up in your sufferings, knowing that he came into that, being conformed to his death. And then Hebrews chapter 7 says this, For now many have become Levitical priests since they are, they are prevented by death from remaining in office. But what about this one priest? But because he remains forever, because he rose from the dead, he holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he is able to save completely. If anyone ends up with a burned truck in the middle of their journey, it's not because Jesus couldn't save you. What he does, he does a complete job. He's able to save completely. But who are those? Those who come and come again and come through him. Since he is always, he always leaves to intercede for them. For this is the kind of high priest we need. Holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. That's yours and my Jesus. Pray with me. Father, we come before you and we thank you. That in you, Jesus, we have a perfect high priest. That in you, Jesus, we have one that not only lived our lives, but succeeded where we fail. But Lord, in you, we have one that has invited us to share with the spoils of victory that you have conquered. That today, God, we are called to fight from victory to victory. And for victory because we belong to you. Help us, Lord, in the midst of the fights and the valleys. Not to be ignorant of the, the victory we have. Help us, Lord, to consistently gaze and fix our eyes on you the author and the finisher of our faith. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from City Church, located in Williamsport, Pennsylvania. We hope God meets you where you are and doesn't leave you, but changes you through the work of his son. For additional information, please visit citychurchpa.org.